and welcome to the Wordview podcast. It's me, Graham Phillips, and I'm still alive. I'm still here. I know I haven't done an episode for pretty much exactly a year, but here we are. I'm back. Um, I just kind of, <laughs> I felt over the last year, really, there's just been so much going on that I've felt to, to take a, a little bit of a, a back step from, from my podcasting activities, uh, just to focus on on family and life and, and things like that. So um, that's what I've been up to. I haven't, uh, I haven't perished. I am still about. But uh, here we are. I'm back today. I've just been feeling over the last couple of weeks uh, just a growing kind of enthusiasm to get back into doing some apologetics. So uh, I figured I'd start the podcast up again. Uh, it's going to be slightly different. We're going to be doing things a slightly different way. I'm, I'm going to be shortening uh, the podcast episodes slightly uh, to make them more manageable and um, hopefully to make them more listenable uh, too. So I'm going to be doing that. I'm also going to be bringing back in our little sort of segment of scripture study. So when I first started out back in 2017 or 18 or something like that, I, I would do a verse from scripture each time I did a podcast we'd look at a passage together we started out doing the gospel of John I'm going to do that again and I'm going to start off in the book of Ephesians really excited to do that such a fantastic book and it's going to take us to study some of the core doctrines of Christianity um, so I'm looking forward to that it's going to be good for me too as uh, so we do that we're also going to look at kind of questions of apologetics as per usual and the one we want to look at today, or the one that I'm going to look at, rather, uh, is the question of whether Christian arguments for the existence of God are just God-of-the-gaps arguments. I don't know if you're aware of that phrase at all, but a God-of-the-gaps argument is what atheists will say, or, or unbelievers will say, a God-of-the-gaps argument is just a way to explain the unexplainable that's when you know we might see a beautiful sunset and we go look there's evidence that god exists there's evidence that god exists that, that there's a beautiful sunset now that sunset can obviously be explained by natural scientific means and so therefore what 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 what's being claimed um as a an, an evidence for the existence of god is in fact something that could just be explained by purely natural scientific means. So the God of the gaps argument is what Rich, William Lane Craig rather calls punting to God, right? So it's when we don't get something, we don't understand something, and we just punt to God. We go, oh, you know, I don't know how that, that landform got there, therefore God, you know, or I don't know how the force of gravity is what it is on earth therefore god you know i i don't understand magnetism therefore god so you see what i mean like god of gaps arguments are primitive kind of punt to god arguments and now what will often get leveled at christians when they utilize one of the christian arguments for the existence of god like we talked about them before on the show like the kalam cosmological argument or the fine-tuning argument or the moral argument and they, these arguments are what we call deductive arguments. They reason premise by premise to a conclusion, a logical conclusion. And they'll say that these arguments are just God of the gaps arguments. They're just punting to God in the absence of real knowledge. And that given enough time, uh, humans will find out the real 
reasons for this phenomena, whether that be the existence of matter, or whether that be the existence of, or the appearance of fine-tuning in the cosmos, or whether it be the existence of morality. What they say is that, you know, eventually um, scientists are going to figure out the real reasons for these things. So to just reason to God is, it, it's actually fallacious. Now, is that the case? Is that actually the case when we look at these arguments? Are they simply God of the gaps arguments. So let's look at it. Let's look at the Kalam cosmological argument, which is an argument developed recently by the work of William Lane Craig, the, the philosopher and apologist. And it's based on work by uh, actually a Muslim guy called Al Ghazali. And the argument works like this. The first premise is simply this. Anything that begins to exist must have a cause. Anything that begins to exist must have a cause. The second premise is the universe began to exist and the third premise is therefore the universe has a cause. A really simple three-step argument and the, the, the initial premise, the first one, anything that begins to exist must have a cause. Uh, this is something that, that we know is true uh, just through experience, we we know that things don't just pop into existence. You know, they they have a cause. Secondly, we we know from modern science that the universe did have a cause. We know that there's redshift when we look out at galaxies in outer space. We notice a redshift, which means that they're moving away. That they're moving away at a speed. And so scientists believe that at some point in the distant past all of these galaxies were gathered into a very small, small, it's not even the right word to use because it's infinitesimally small dots that they would call the singularity before they went poof and exploded in what scientists believe to be the Big Bang. So we know from science that the universe did have a beginning. We know that also through thinking about the sort of logical impossibility of an infinite series of events now this is deep stuff and i'd advise you if you want to read more into this it's a great little book you can get called on guard by william lane craig that explains some of this um that you know that the idea of a series of events leading into the infinite past is actually absurd because how could we ever arrive at the present moment if those series of events are stretched into eternity like they never ended then there's never a beginning to those series of events and so therefore we could never arrive at the present moment uh, that's a deep thought and that'll make your head spin so we'll, we'll leave that there and we'll move on to the the uh, third premise which is this therefore the universe has a cause now this is the biggie because obviously this cause whatever caused the universe can't be something within the universe can it because what we're saying is that the universe had a point of beginning and before that beginning there was no universe so before the beginning of the universe there was no matter there was no physical matter because that all exists in the cosmos so whatever caused the cosmos to exist can't have been something material it must have been immaterial it can't have been something that was contained within time and space because time and space are two parameters that only exist within the cosmos. So whatever created the cosmos, whatever caused the cosmos, probably the better word, can't be constrained by time or space. This must be timeless, immaterial, and essentially a, a, a sort of a spiritual being. And equally, 
because we have a beginning of the universe and we have a cause it's also an argument William Lane Craig would go on to say that this being must be personal so this cause must have a mind it must have decided at a certain point in time to create this cosmos now I'm not going to go through all of the reasons why he says that because there's lots and we'd be here for a long time but the point I simply want to make about this argument is if it were a god of the gaps argument if it were a god of the gaps argument and and what was what was being claimed by atheists is true then the argument would have to be based on what it would have to be based on an absence of knowledge because that's what a god of the gaps argument is it, it looks at something and says well we we don't understand that we can't understand that so therefore it must have been god but when we look at the cosmological argument it's three premises that don't make sense unless you have knowledge right that they are three premises that are built upon the current level of scientific knowledge cosmological information that we have about the universe so far from being an argument built upon ignorance it's an argument that's built upon information scientific fact therefore this argument is not a god of the gaps argument and so therefore the objection falls flat this argument is built upon logic in terms of the argument flows premise to premise in a logical manner it's not illogical secondly it's built upon current cosmological sorry current cosmological evidences in 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 fact of the 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 hubble shift the red shift that we see in the universe we know that at some point in the distant past the universe existed in a very very small dot before that presumably there was nothing there was nothing so we we have an argument that's built upon knowledge and information rather than being a, you know a punt to god in the absence of knowledge so no this argument the cosmological argument is not a god of the gaps argument neither and for different reasons neither is the moral argument now the moral argument i think i've done on this show before the moral argument for, for the existence of god is really simple it's a very old argument and it goes like this premise one if god does not exist objective moral values and duties do not exist premise two objective moral values and duties do exist and then number three therefore god exists now on the face of it if you never heard this argument before you, you would be thinking what on earth what be, simply because moral values exist in an objective sense and duties right there's a difference between the two we'll get into but because those exist god exists a ridiculous that that's so primitive but when you actually look into it you see more and more and more that without an objective anchor point an objective objective i use that word a lot when we talk in apologetics objective is something that exists outside of you right it's something that exists outside of you and whether you existed or not that thing would still exist okay so like maths one two three four five six seven right mathematical certainties those numbers would exist whether you existed or not they would exist as they are whether you believed that two plus two equaled five it wouldn't change the fact that two plus two equals four i hope that's kind of making sense objective realities are things that are anchored outside of you they exist outside of you they can't be changed by the way you feel about them they can't be changed by the way you think about them they exist outside of you okay so objective moral values and duties is essentially it, it they are 
they are it's a moral code that exists outside of humankind so it doesn't matter where you are in the world murder is wrong okay this is what this is saying murder is wrong whether you live in india whether you live in the uk whether you live on the north pole murder's wrong in each of those places it's also saying that if i believe that it's actually okay to commit genocide to, to wipe out an entire people group if i believe that's okay um, even if i gather a whole bunch of people together with me maybe even a whole nation of people with me under my leadership and and i say to them all genocide's okay we're going to commit genocide together let's do it right that doesn't make it right and of course it doesn't <laughs> genocide's wrong no matter how many people you get to believe it's right you know we look at nazi germany and we look at the nuremberg trials the nuremberg trials are a perfect example they're a perfect evidence of the fact that there is a an objective moral code which exists outside of mankind so even if the whole of mankind everybody in the world believed that murder was okay it wouldn't make murder okay yeah now that's only true if there is a place to anchor those objective moral values outside of mankind if moral values just exist inside our heads okay then they're not objective if they only exist in a political sense you know if, if morality is simply what's legal and what's illegal then they're not objective are they because you could have a country like germany in the 1940s that says that murdering jews is okay and what that means if you believe that morality is whatever is legal then you'd be saying that genocide was good it was it was good because it was legal so we know that's not true so what this argument essentially says is if we god is is that god is that anchor he is the locus point for objective moral values and duties and without him all we have is subjectivity all we have is well i believe it's right but you say it's wrong well who's right we, we, we can't arbitrate between the two we need some kind of an objective standard by which to measure morality and god is that so this is an interesting one and lots and lots to say here that i can't really go into because i don't have the time but we know that objective moral values and duties do exist we know that there are some things that are good and we know there are some things that are evil no matter how much people try to tell you that oh, it's all subjective it's all relative as rc sproul said steal their wallet and see what they say then you'll find out pretty quickly they believe in objective moral values and duties you should not steal their wallet it's wrong to steal their wallet right so these things do exist and the only logical conclusion is that these things must exist somewhere morality doesn't exist materially it isn't something i can pick up it's it's not something i can weigh so it exists it's not a material thing therefore it exists we believe as christians in the very character and nature of god and is revealed in his word and so what i would say about this is it's not a god of the gaps argument we're not looking at morals and simply saying well they're there because god right uh, we're just ruling out any other explanation for it what, what we're essentially saying is that these these things 
morals, duties, the existence of them. They're, they're just properly basic. They're kind of things that we we just assume as humans. They're a priori, as, as we would say. They're, they're just there. They just do exist. And we have consciences by which we can you know, guide our lives. And we, we, we apprehend these things as being right or wrong. You know, They're just there. And what we're saying is that really God is the best explanation for the existence of objective moral values and duties. We're reasoning from information. We're reasoning from knowledge rather than from the lack of it. So again, what we see is that far from being a God of the gaps argument, this argument is just reasoning to the best possible answer for the existence of these things. Um, it's as Van Til and uh, Greg Barnson would say it's kind of like the contrary would be impossible they argued for this thing called the impossibility of the contrary that basically Christianity the Judeo-Christian worldview is the best explanation for how the world is Francis Schaeffer would argue for this as well Christianity the Judeo-Christian worldview has within it the best explanation for the way that the world actually is and anything outside of that is essentially it doesn't hang together it doesn't add up so far from being god of the gaps arguments these christian arguments are reasoned from knowledge from information from facts established facts so that's what we've got to say about that so um, next time somebody throws that at you well these are just god of the gaps arguments you can tell them no a god of the gaps argument argues from ignorance it tries to plug a gap in knowledge these are arguments built upon information and secondly if a lot of the time people who level this argument god of the gaps at us they say things like this well you can't you can't plug god into that equation because at some point in the future scientists will discover the real reason well what that is is simply a it is a kind of man of the gaps argument it's saying that we mankind scientists we will plug that gap we don't know that we will, but we're saying that we will. So again, it's kind of a blind faith argument. Well, let's look at this book of Ephesians before we go. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And what we're going to do is just take a quick look into what Paul is saying as his greeting. It's a short greeting. And in the Greek, it says, uh, Paulos, apostolos Christu Iesu, dia thelematos theu, tois hagios, tois husin, and epheso. Kaipistois and Christo Yesu. That's the first verse in Greek. And what that translates as literally is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, through the will of God to the holy ones or to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. I want to take just a, a little moment and just kind of marvel at the start of this letter. Paul kicks this off by stating that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus through the will of God an apostle of Christ Jesus through the will of God now what do we have to say about this well this word apostolos uh, it, it's a Greek noun and this noun is made up of two words first the preposition apo which means away from secondly the word stello which is a verb which is to send so it's being sent from sent from so what he's really saying is, is i'm paul i am the sent from one 
from Christ Jesus. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now that word is is ubiquitous throughout scripture, that sense of being sent out. In fact, Hebrews says that Christ is our chief apostle. He is the first apostle sent from God. And the apostles of Christ are those who are sent from Christ out into the world. There's a, a missional side to this. Um, and in fact, there's a story as well that this word um, apostolos was something that was used in sort of Greco-Roman culture for those who would be sent out from Roman government into new territory to kind of create Roman culture, create Greco-Roman culture in that arena they'd been sent to. And this is a real sense of what the word apostolos means. It's, it's one who is sent from God to build God's kingdom. That's what Christ came to do, to represent God. It was that kind of ambassadorial sense to it. The, the apostle is an ambassador. So Christ is the ambassador of God. Paul is the ambassador of Christ. The apostles of Christ are ambassadors for Christ. And in a sense, every Christian is an apostle. Every, every Christian is a kind of apostolos, uh, sent out to build the kingdom of God. Now, of course, we, we have to realize that nobody is an apostle in the same way that Christ is an apostle. Nobody is an ambassador for, for God in the same way that Christ was, since nobody has a divine nature besides Christ. We have to also realize that, that nobody today is an apostle in the same way that, that Paul was an apostle. And uh, Matthew Henry, for example, in his commentary, he says, The apostles were prime officers in the Christian church, being extraordinary ministers appointed for a time only. So just as we said that all believers are apostles, and that's true in a sense, not every apostle today is like the apostles of the first century. These were men who uh, had been appointed by God. Uh, Paul himself appointed personally by Christ. The 12 apostles appointed personally by Christ. We read in Acts uh, 1, 21 and 22 that um, that's the, the only real information we have about choosing apostles in the scriptures and there were criteria that needed to be fulfilled one had to have followed jesus from the baptism of john through to his resurrection one had to have been a witness to the resurrected christ uh, and then thirdly one had to have been chosen by god now we see there that there's nobody today who could fulfill all those criteria since nobody has walked on earth with christ from the baptism of john to the resurrection and nobody has physically witnessed the resurrection of Christ today. So though there are apostles in a sense today, in the sense that all believers are sent out, um, especially those, that's true of, of people who are missionaries going out into the world, into a sort of unevangelized areas. Yes, in a sense, they are apostles, but they're not apostles in the sense that Paul was. Um, and equally, Though Paul didn't fulfill all that criteria like the 12, he hadn't walked with Jesus from his baptism to his resurrection. He's an unusual anomaly in a sense, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, he, he, he had been a witness to the resurrection of Christ. And on the Damascus Road, you know, of course, he was simultaneously chosen by Christ to be a witness for him in the earth. Uh, their function was really to establish the foundation of the church. Um, they Ephesians 2 talks about this they were to make known the mystery of God to the church set up the norms of doctrine of fellowship that's why I have the apostles creed um, these men the first apostles the 12 and Paul they set up the foundation 
for the church. Uh, they set up the foundation in terms of the doctrine, the fellowship, the, the teaching of the church. To present Christ as he really was, and we, we see that again and again in the, the epistles. In the epistles of John, we see them taking a stand for the true Christ, uh, for what that meant as opposed to false Christ, which were being preached already in the first century. Now, we do have other apostles listed in Scripture as well. Now, we, we, there are people who have different names for these, but people uh, like Barnabas, Timothy, Silas, Epaphroditus, Apollos. Now, these could be called missionary apostles. These are people who were sent out by local churches. From Antioch, for example, would send out apostles to go and do the work of the church so in a sense we we can say that a missionary was an apostle in fact that the latin word missionario from which we get missionary came from the greek word apostolos and so yes in a sense missionaries are apostles but would we call them apostle well we though we technically might there could be confusion because unless we understand that there's different levels of apostles that the first century apostles the 12 plus Paul the apostles of Christ had that special authority these men wrote the words of scripture uh, words that were breathed out by God nobody on earth today can write a new book of scripture and so therefore we want to be careful if we're going to call people apostles today so as to save confusion there's nobody around walking the earth today that has that same level of authority that Paul did or John did or Peter did but certainly there are Christians who operate apostolically in the sense that we're sent out by God, that we have an apostolic faith, we, we share the faith of the apostles, but nobody is truly an apostle in the same way that Paul was today. The foundation of the church was built upon the apostles of Christ, and the foundation of the church is built upon the chief apostle, Christ Jesus, who came to be an ambassador for God, to reveal God to us, to make a way for us back to the Father. I hope that's been interesting for you today and uh, hopefully it won't be too long before I am back with another episode. God bless you all and um, if you want to check out those books again that's On Guard by William Lane Craig um, which has a lot of those arguments laid out in it. I'd also recommend uh, works by Lee Strobel, uh, The Case for Christ, The Case for a Creator highly recommend any of those books and until next time god bless